The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. your interface and listen up it's time for another stellar episode of dotnet rocks the internet audio talk show for dotnet developers with carl franklin and richard campbell this is jeff maciolik here to announce show number 119 with guest rob howard recorded live friday june 24 2005 dotnet rocks is brought to you by franklin's net training developers to work smarter and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASP.NET classes remotely online at www.franklins.net and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActaReports.net simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications online at www.datadynamics.com support is also provided by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just got back from a business trip to Nigeria, and his bank account is empty, Thank you. Thank you, but Jeff, you gotta do, and his bank account was empty... You know, get the comic emphasis yeah, well, there. You know, it's. I think an empty bank account is funny enough as it is. It I mean, is true, and you know, no as offense. long as it's happening to somebody else. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and no offense to Nigeria as a country, but come on, man, control your spammers. They're getting out of hand. <laughs> come on, you're gonna have to take it on the chin this time. How you doing, Richard? Richard Campbell out there in Vancouver, British Columbia, my co-host, my partner in crime, at least for fifty shows. Anyway, that's how the story goes. How are you? Well, 19 shows in, and I haven't lost any enthusiasm yet. Yes, you have not. Yes, fact, you have I not. I think we've, had, we've been having a really good time, haven't we? We've had a great time. Nothing but compliments about your uh, co-hostedness. It's been great. <laughs> it's been all good. It's all good. And uh, I got a down water pump, and, and the funny part is uh, it's in my wife's machine instead of mine this time. Yeah. Yeah, I cooked I, off a water pump, so I got another one on emergency replacement order. I think I'm going to have to keep a water pump in stock, because yeah. uh, having a dead pump is bad. But so, uh, so if it leaks and water gets into the electronics, are you talking about a fire, or will it just no, go no. poof? It'll, it'll just cook the machine. I've cooked a couple of motherboards that way, actually. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, nothing dramatic. It's just these uh, the water pump failure is the nasty one, because they're just uh, odd the things to replace. They're hard to get out of there. You know, the centralized cooling solution would solve all this. Putting right. plumbing into my wall for my computers is the answer. Yeah, I think you ought to do that. I know, you know that that's where we're heading here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I've, I've embraced the fact that this is going to happen. Now, whether or not the wife has embraced the fact that this is <laughs> going to happen is another question entirely. Right. 
So anything happening in, in uh, Canada, in your neck of the woods, this, this week or well, next week? Or? Nothing as weird as what's happening in New London. What are you doing evicting people? Uh, it's not me, man. I tell you, New London's in the news. You know, it's kind of funny because, you know, a while ago we were in the news as like one, being one of the best towns to live in, which I thought was weird. Um, yeah. Yeah, because the taxes are high. Because everybody knows Vancouver's the best place to live in. <laughs> well, this was in, a, in America, of course. You know, out of the towns in America, New London was ranked uh, on the top of some list as far as like economically a good place to live. And the problem with New London is there's there's so many schools and churches and not enough houses, so there isn't any property tax to speak of. And so, you know, the people who do live here get squeezed big time, and they're getting huge squeeze right now. Uh, I just read in the paper that next uh, next year's school budget. They're going to increase the size of elementary school classes by 50%. Not only wow. that, but we don't have a garbage contract. The, the, the city has eliminated garbage pickup from the budget because they can't afford it. And, and no, guess what? They, they said to all these contractors, okay, who wants to do the garbage? Nobody said me. Nobody. Wow. Nobody wants to do it. And so down, I walked down the street today. There's garbage piling up outside. It's like freaking Victorian times here, man. And now, you know, we just got a Supreme Court decision about uh, apparently the government now has the right to, uh, to local governments now have the right to use eminent domain on public property projects for business development if they feel that it would benefit the community. And which is opening up a pretty big can of worms, if you ask me. No kidding. And, and this made my local paper, believe it or not. It's huge. I mean, I read it, I read it in the paper today, and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe you guys are doing this. This huge. is out of control. It, it's insane. Well, you know, the city has no, uh, has no tax base except for Pfizer, and uh, you know, the, they are the ones who want to put in this big hotel and stuff. So, you know, the city would get some taxes out of it, but man, did, do we have to go there? Do we have yeah, to taking people's homes over it is a little excessive. A little, and not only that, but opening up a precedent the Supreme Court so that governments all across America can do this now. Right. Really sucks. All right. Well, enough about me um, and my stupid town. Let's talk about. Fortunately, I don't live in New London. I live uh, in Waterford, which is one town over. But um, but still, it's a problem for every small town now. Sure, it's going to be. So, uh, got some email here, Richard. Some great email. Great I think. email. Our friend at Shrinkster.com, the guy who wrote that, Kyle Tinsley, uh, wrote us last week. He said, Carl and Richard, I know you are both busy men, so I'll keep this as short as possible. I'd like to thank you guys for using a website I wrote called Shrinkster.com. And we love it. You have been very helpful in bringing traffic to the site, and I would like you to know that I really appreciate your help. Hopefully, it helps you by shaving about 30 seconds off each DNR in Monday's show. Actually, uh, Kyle, it shaves a lot more than that because the time that we spend not reading DLLs and the time that everybody else doesn't spend, you know, emailing them to typing each other them. and typing them yeah. in and, and getting word wrap taken care of and all that problem. It's great stuff. And anyway, so he goes on. He says, well, since before the last PDC, a few partners and I have been working on a new site uh, at whizbids.com, W-I-Z-B-I-D-S, whizbids. I even left my job a year ago to focus purely on getting this business running. The site took nearly two years to create and is written entirely in .NET 2.0. The site allows developers and other freelance professionals to find freelance projects. It also enables businesses to outsource projects to freelance professionals. 
This site was prototyped in 1.1 and architected with the PDC bits of 2.0. With the release of 2.0 Beta 1, we began development of the production version of the site. When .NET 2.0 Beta 2 was released, we began to prep the code for production rollout. Our V1 release ended up with 120 web pages and about 700 source files for the entire system, website, services, and smart clients. We just launched the site about three weeks ago and are happy to report a very stable, highly performant, and very maintainable system. Generics are going to change our world. Thank you, and let me know if you have any questions. Please keep up the great work, and I'm eagerly awaiting the daily commute. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but there you go. Uh, some props for our friend Kyle Tinsley at Shrinkster.com. Obviously, uh, you know we've been using them to shrink our links for a long time. And there it is. Go check out whizbids.com. I uh, got another one from Nick Swan, the guy who wrote Pocket Blogger, a utility that I use to post to my blog from Pocket PC from my Pocket PC phone. And he wrote us this letter. Hi, Carl. I've been following .NET Rocks and your blog for a long time, and I love it. I am part of a team that has launched a new service. This is like community service announcement day. <laughs> <laughs> This is a team that's just launched a new service that connects people who read the same or similar books. All right, so a book buddy service. If you would like to okay. give it a try and give me some feedback, I will be very thankful. And it's called www.connectviabooks.com. C-O-N-N-E-C-T. We should be using Shrinkster for this, right? C-O-N-N-E-C-T-V-I-A-B-O-O-K-S. Connectviabooks.com. Thanks. Many thanks. And keep up the great work. Nick Swan. And uh, I got nothing. That's all I got, man. So a couple of community <laughs> announcements, uh, and and that's pretty much it. That's not nothing. It's just neat to it's neat to hear from some of the folks that have been around DNR for a long time, and it really helped us out too. Absolutely. To uh, to see new things going on, I think it's really exciting times in development right now, and all the the great people we know are uh, are doing amazing things, moving towards new products. Uh, Studio two thousand five, I think it's going to be huge. This is going to be a great year next year. Wonderful. Huge year. Huge. And I mean, this year hasn't been pretty big, too. Yeah, that's true. But I think uh, 2006 is going to be stellar. Stella. Anyhow, uh, I said I would mention the Daily Commute. This is a, an idea that I had to uh, create a show in which we would read headlines uh, every day. Richard and I sort of talk about this once a week. Should we? Shouldn't we? Should we? Shouldn't we? We know that... We know that it's it would be a huge time sucker, and that's the problem. We don't want to give we don't want to start something we can't finish, and uh, there isn't any anybody stepping up to pay for it. So uh, that's where we sort of left it. We uh, I am going to build a plugin to Popcatcher, which will uh, read uh, blog posts and with a text to speech engine of your choice, and some of them are pretty good out there, and produce MP3s. So that's about as far as we're going to get with the daily commute, I think. Unless somebody wants to step up to the plate and say, "Hey, that's a great idea. I'll fund you." And uh in which case we should talk. Anyhow, that said, let's just go ahead, Richard, and introduce our guest who I'm very very excited to have on the show, aren't you? Absolutely. None other than Mr. Rob Howard. Rob Howard is the founder of Intelligent Systems, a solutions company specializing in Microsoft Enterprise Technologies. Prior to founding Intelligence Systems, Rob worked for the Microsoft Corporation, maybe you've heard of them, where he helped to create the <laughs> Microsoft.NET Framework 1.0, 1.1, and 2.0. He, 
He specifically contributed to ASP.NET, where he helped design web services, caching, session state, error handling, membership, role management, personalization, the provider design pattern, and many other features. Are there any features left? I don't think so. No, I think that's all of them. He has presented at many software developer conferences, including Microsoft's PDC and TechEd, Borland's DevCon, ASP.NET Connections, and VS Live, and is consistently rated as a top presenter. Rob is recognized as a Microsoft regional director now and is part of the INETA Speakers Bureau to boot. He is the author of several books, most recently a preview of ASP.NET 2.0 by Addison Wesley, ASP.NET Coding Strategies with the ASP.NET team from Microsoft Press, and is currently working on his eighth book. To learn more about intelligent systems, services, and offerings, or to chat with Rob, please email him at rhoward at intelligentsystems, T-E-L-L-I-G-E-N-T systems.com. Welcome, Mr. Howard. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm glad to be here. Jeez, uh, I I feel uh, uh, just completely humbled in your presence, man. You are a rock star of the highest mar- of the highest order, and I, I'm really glad that you're finally on this show. Well, I'm glad to be here. I, I I don't really consider myself a rock star, but I appreciate that as a I appreciate that as a superlative, I guess. Let there um, be rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a long time coming. I mean, I, I wanted to come on this show for a long time, and I know well, you we, and I we talked, Carl about, talked about this literally a year ago, numbers of times. And I keep saying, Carl, I want to get on. I want to get on, and you just seem never to. Oh come on, man! Uh, you never write. You never call. Why is it always my fault, man? Uh, you Where's know, the love, Carl? I know. It's just I get no respect. <laughs> so the three of us were all together a year ago at Dev Teach. You remember? Oh yep. yeah. Yep. Of course, I wasn't a ho- co-host then, but you were talking about getting on the show then. Yeah, I remember. Yep. I was hoping we wouldn't bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we actually had you scheduled last year, and something came up, and, and then we tried to get you in on sort of a last-minute thing, and that didn't work either. You're a busy guy. Right. Yeah. Especially busy si- these days. Yeah, especially since you left Microsoft, and now you started this new company, Intelligent Systems. Let's, I want to talk history, but tell me about this new thing. Sure. Well, you know, I left Microsoft about, about a year ago. It was actually June 1st of, of last year, and started a new company called Intelligent Systems, and specifically with the goal of doing three things originally was the plan. One was going to be first doing training, which we'd hope would lead into, lead into some services and kind of project-type work. And then the third thing was to start, was to continually work on and fund um, something that many of the folks at Intelligent are really passionate about, which is um, community, community-driven applications. Yeah. So, for example, the ASP.NET forums, which I worked on at Microsoft, and Gallery, which a guy named Jason Alexander worked on while he was at Match.com, and then, of course, .text, which Scott Watermazic um, worked on and which was used to run weblogs at ASP.net and right. blogs at msd.com for a long time. Yeah. And um, things happened a lot faster than we expected, and we, I think I think we did one, one training engagement and com- just almost immediately switched over to doing a lot of project-based work, uh, working with customers in a variety of industries, variety of sized applications, yeah. all really focused on ASP.NET and SQL Server, which kind of are specialties. Right. And um, also really having Community Server, what became Community Server, take off a lot faster than we expected, which was taking the ASP.NET forums, dot .text, and end gallery and combining them into one solution and really trying to make that perfect versus, you know, three very good good applications, which they were before. Yeah. 
And I remember you, you, you contacted me last spring, I think it was, about uh, about podcasting. You were yep. getting a lot of – you were wondering, you know, what's that all about? What, what have you guys done with that or have yeah, That's you? a great question. We, we, have, we have – so Community Server has been a, a very popular application for us, obviously. Um, it's what we spend <laughs> a lot of time doing. Yeah. Um, you know, we use it to run forums.asp.net. We use it to run blogs.msd.com, and, and hundreds and hundreds of other people use it as well. And one of the common questions we got, especially from a lot of the bloggers, was, gosh, it'd be really nice if there was a podcasting feature just built on the community server. Right. And, you know, you and I had talked about that, and we had a pretty good idea of what, what, what it would mean to add podcasting. Right. Um, we've been researching it and, and looking at it for a long time now, and it's going to come in our next release, which is going to be towards the probably early fall, end of summer. Yeah. Our version one, 1.2 release will have podcasting built in. Fabulous. It, nice. Is weblogs.asp.net running community server now? Not yet. Blogs.msdn.com is and blogs.technet.com is. And the reason that weblogs.asp.net isn't running yet is not really – because of any lack of desire on our part, it's really just lack of time. We just yeah. haven't had the time to get around to it. Right. We've been busy with so many other work items and so many projects. And um, while weblogs.asp.net is definitely definitely on our radar, I think what the plan right now is um, we're either going to roll out a new server there in late summer or or early fall. We haven't we haven't really decided yet, but and, we want to yeah. make sure that especially before we do that for for those bloggers, we have we have some other features that I think will make it even more appealing. For the folks that are on weblogs.asp.net. And uh, one more last question: Is dot text pretty much dead? No, I wouldn't say dot text is dead. Or is it going to be its own product? Yeah, I, I think dot text version nine dot six. So if you were to ask Scott Watermazic, he would say that he never called dot text version one zero. Yeah. Because he never really felt like it was of the quality that he wanted to get it to. Yeah. And um, it, if you were to, if you were on the phone right now, and we were to ask him. I, I'm one hundred percent sure he, what he would say. Is that Community Server 1.0 was like dot text 1.0 for him? Okay, uh, that that's the vision he had for yeah. building a blogging solution and all the other associated problems that he had to solve along with that. But I guess I'm you, saying we're not going to see a separate product. That's correct. Text. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're putting all our we're putting all our eggs in that one basket. All right, but he's not working on another dot text. Is what I'm asking. No, you don't only know. Community Server now. Great. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But now, community server is not a free product either. This is, it, it means it's a, it's, it's a per pay product. Well, that's not exactly correct. We're, we're, we're trying to do something that a lot of people were very skeptical of to begin with, um, which mm. was have a product that's both free as well as a version that's commercial. And uh, back in mid July of last year, when we started talking about that, a lot of people said, you can't, do, you can't do that. You won't do it for a long time. There's yeah. no way you're going to make this happen. And in fact, that's exactly what we do. We we get about um, between six to eight hundred downloads a day of yeah. our free version. We also have customers that we work with that purchase the commercial version, and um, we publish all the source code to it. So all the source code for the forums, for weblogs, for for the blogging solution, as well as for the gallery solution, all is available. And what our what our business model really is for community server is one, you know, our roots are in the community. We want to build a great set of software that they can use and hmm. still download and look at and read, read the code and do everything they did before, just as they did with forums and dot .text and whatever else, but, but also have other offerings that folks, like, won't really be interested unless they're running large commercial applications. Hmm. So a, a great example of what I, would, what I would kind of put out there is, is one of the commercial add-ons that we've built is an NNTP server. So, for example, you can read the forums.aspnet website in your web browser just fine. Yeah. 
But you can also open up Outlook Express and connect to newsforums.asp.net and read it in Outlook Express. Or I might also add, you could use an NNTP reading component like from Dart or one of those other guys or... Or, right. heck, you could write your own if you read my book, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, even Exchange, right? Exchange sure. has a news uh, feed into yep. uh, the public folder system, so you could plug it right into there. So one of the – actually, it's a good segue because Exchange is another problem we're trying to solve and that we're, we're also writing an email, an email component to it as well. So you can receive, like, a message, a discussion right in your inbox, read it, reply to it in Outlook or whatever other mail reader you're using, mm-hmm. And uh, that would show up in the forums, where you could then, then in turn, read that same message in the news groups. So this all comes back to a problem that I saw while I was at Microsoft, which was communities today are really separated out by technology, which is unfortunate. I mean, if you're looking at Microsoft technology and the communities that, that they build around those technologies, you'll have one set of communities that are in the news groups, one set of communities that are in email lists, and one set right. of communities that are in web-based discussion systems. And that's unfortunate because there's a lot of good information that is not shared between the three, and it's really only a matter of protocols and IP addresses and ports that prevent all those from talking to one another. Right. And so part of our vision for Community Server was to bring all three of those together. That's cool. All right, so here's an obvious question that's probably on the listener's mind too. What's the relationship or the non-relationship between this product, between Community Server and, say, .NET Nuke? What's the relationship between Community Server and .NET Nuke? Maybe in terms of, you know, how similar, how different, what's the difference, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, well, well .NET Nuke is a portal solution. So for, for individuals who want to go out and find a technology that easily allows them to put together a portal um, where they can do content management and other tasks such as that, mm. that's where .NET Nuke really shines. I mean, .NET Nuke is a fantastic application. Um, I definitely re- recommend checking it out at .NET Nuke.com. Um, it's it's another application that comes with full source code. You can download that source code. You can review it. You can use it for free, just like you can with Community Server. Okay. Um, it's 100% Visual Basic based, whereas Community Server is 100% C sharp based. Mm-hmm. Um, another, really, the delta between the two is um, I think you'll find in Community Server some really um, Community Server is really be focused at, at several specific tasks. It's not meant to be a portal solution. I would actually say that hosts such as .NET Nuke or SharePoint or, or other portal technologies are what you would host Community Server within if you're not oh, running see. it by itself. I see. So is, does that, is that indicative of the fact that you may actually write uh, a plug-in interface for, for .NET Nuke for Community Server? Yeah, we, you know, that's a, that's a great point that you brought up. Um, a lot of people have asked us about the Community Server and .NET Nuke integration. And where is it? Why hasn't been done yet? Um, we Just actually, a matter of time again. We actually had hired someone to do that and um, spent a lot of money on getting something like that done. And the end result was it was completely non-functional. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm we spent a lot. Hear that. I spent quite a bit of money on it. So now we, we just hired someone. We hired um, Dan Bartels, who's from, who's probably pretty well known in the .text community as well as the .NET New community. And part of what he's going to be doing is working on a lot of our portal strategy, making sure that we run within .NET Nuke, um, and maybe even more importantly, making sure we run, we run really well within SharePoint, which me, is really where we see a lot even even more opportunity. Let me clarify this, and we'll get to SharePoint in a second, but sure. just uh, on that point of integration with .NET Nuke, do you think the problem was that you had the wrong guy or girl or you know wrong developer, or did it just not work technologically? No, I think I think there were a couple problems. I, 
I think the main problem is that there is such a high degree of overlap between yeah. what .NET Nuke does and some of its administrative capabilities sure. and what Community Server does and its administrative capabilities. That was one big problem. Yeah. Um, another big problem was just purely from a infrastructure side, which was the way .NET Nuke works is it, it takes over it takes over basically all ASPX requests. And so it virtualizes out the URLs. The URL request comes in. It requests default.aspx, question, tab ID, whatever. And um, mm. there's no physical page that represents that request. Whereas community server is made up of physical pages with server controls. Got it. So every single component of community server is a server control. And so there was some... Got it. There was some disconnect there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, the point being that they, that community server works with ASPX normally, and DNN kind of takes over the whole space. That's correct. Mm. That's correct. And so there, there's just some, you know, I don't think there's any surprises. Once most people dig into that, they're like, oh yeah, that makes you know, I understand kind of what some of the challenges are now. Um, but okay. that's that's what's made it difficult from our side, and it's it's something we're working on. Um, we tried to originally as Telligent, we tried to contract that out. And hire someone from the .NET New community to help us do that. Yeah, and it turned out to be a mistake. So we yeah. kind of regrouped, reassessed, and um, hired a full-time person with Intelligent to make sure that happens now. Oh, cool. Yeah, but I, I imagine back then you were a little more sensitive to those things. Business sounds like it's been booming for you. Yeah, business is going well. Yeah, we just um, we had our one-year anniversary about two weeks ago, and we hit thirty people on our one-year anniversary. Wow! Wow! Yeah, great! So In one was, year. Really exciting. Fabulous. Hey, Rob, why don't we take a step back? Tell sure. us about leaving Microsoft. Like, when I met you a year ago, that was uh, you, that was just happening. Yeah. And uh, I never really found out how you got to that point. Well, it's a, it's actually a pretty simple story. And I, uh, <laughs> it's one I'd love to share. Well, about, you know, about a year or two before I joined Microsoft, I, I was part of a, another company that I had ownership in. I did consulting work, and we did consulting work for a variety of clients. Most of them were very small. This is while we were in college, and one day we had a meeting with a potentially large client, and they said, look, guys, you know the technology. You know, it's obvious you know what you're doing. We'd really like to go with you, but look, you know, we don't know your company. You guys are young. How, how in the world are we supposed to know whether or not you know technology or not? Mm. And that was kind of a kick in the chest for us because, you know, we're a bunch of we were a bunch of hardcore hackers that really knew what we were doing. And, you know, unless a company or a business trusts that right. company to run with and use their solutions, this just doesn't work out for the business. So yeah. we decided to kind of disband and go our separate ways. And my goal was, hey, I really wanted to get back into having having a business again that was a services-based business or a software-based business. So my plan was, you know what, I want to go, I want to, go to work for one of the best software companies in the world, learn what they've done to be so successful, and then do this again. So I, I, I had an opportunity to go to work for Microsoft as a developer originally. I did development for about uh, six months and moved into a uh, another role, which I just were some of the best years of my life uh, at the time, which was technical evangelism. I was part of a group called the Developer Relations Group at Microsoft. I did that for about a year and a half or two years. And... That was really during the dot-com heyday. And, I, I guys, I cannot tell you how much fun that was. Where <laughs> Our role, there was about four or five of us, and our role was to go out and basically convince these large, gigantic, you know, eBay-style shops 
hey, you shouldn't be running Java or whatever else or, you know, writing your own CGI script. Yeah, yeah. You need to be running Microsoft's DNA solution. And so we were trying to convince them back then to run um, Microsoft ASP, classic ASP, mm-hmm. um, SQL Server, obviously, as well as, you know, Transaction Server and a few other technologies. And that was tough, but it was a lot of fun. And yeah. at, at about that same time, towards the end of that is when Scott Guthrie approached me and said, hey, what would you think about being a program manager on the on this new team called XSP? And I was like, hmm, I don't know. And so we went kind of back and forth for a couple of months on that and um, worked out. Moved yeah. to the ESPN team, stayed there for about, I think it was about three years. And then I came up with my five-year mark where I, I, w- I would have been at Microsoft for five years. And I said, you know what? It's, it's the right time. ASP.NET 2 is, is coming out. It's eminent. It's going to be a great technology. Typically, version 2 of Microsoft Technologies is where things really just get blown through the roof. Mm-hmm. And I said, now is the right time. And I actually wound up giving about, originally it was about six months notice, but we stretched it out another year. So it wound up being <laughs> 18 months notice to Microsoft that I was So you, you got your five pounds of M&Ms anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I left, and we, you know, we we departed on really great terms. Um, they were they were incredibly supportive. They're a fantastic company, and you know, yeah. Well, Microsoft is one of your customers now too. Microsoft is absolutely one of our customers. Yep. Yeah. And how's it how's it being a regional director? What has that done for you? Being a regional director is great. I mean, I I think the the best part for me, at least, um, speaking selfishly about being a regional director, is really just getting to network with all the other regional directors and in. Yep. You know, in my role at Microsoft, I had kind of a different relationship with a lot of those folks. And now to move to the other side of the fence with a lot of them, it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's just a... We have more fun. Yeah. You can have more fun, yeah. The, the mailing <laughs> list alone, people would die for. Yeah, the mailing yeah. list is, can be pretty, pretty entertaining at times. Yes, it can. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's a here's a blast from the past. The ASP.NET Roadshow. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw you guys came to. Uh, I think it was Boston where I saw you. Yep. And you told a story about ASP.NET, the website www.asp.net. <laughs> I know what you're getting to. It's a great story, man. Will you tell it? Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friends Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine, and you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, 
You know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. Yeah, I'd love to tell that story. So, to give a little context about, I think it was, I can't remember the exact time frame now. I think it was maybe four years ago now when we first rolled out the www.aspnet website, which um, hopefully most people are aware of now. I think a lot of people are. We hope our listeners are aware of it. Yeah. And um, when we originally rolled it out, there was one page. And that page basically said, Here's what ASP.NET is, you know, blah blah blah, whatever else. Here's 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 some download information. Here's some screenshots of, you know, ASP.NET inside of Visual Studio or whatever else. And as we of course move through time, we added functionality to that application or that site. And the first piece of functionality we added was we added this control gallery. Because of course in ASP.NET, one of the greatest things about ASP.NET is this declarative programming model. And we wanted to enable a way for people to share controls they build. So we created the control gallery, and that allowed people to um, Upload controls, they could download controls, they could share them, they could rate them, they could rank them. All kinds of great stuff. And that, was, and dice and that was a really popular feature of the site at the time. Yep. Still is, and actually. The the next thing that we did was we said, you know what, we're missing, we've got a gap in our kind of community strategy. We've got news groups, and we really didn't like news groups that much because from a measurement standpoint, they're really difficult to measure there's lots and lots of repetitive, kind of you get the same question over and over and over again, so there's not a lot of information reuse. There's no searching. And then we had email lists, which suffered from a lot of the same problems. Um, and we said, we're missing, we're missing this gap, which is online web-based discussions. And so what we wound up doing is we, we purchased a forum solution um, from an individual, and we use that pretty much as a, as a specification and pretty much rewrote the whole thing according to the needs that we had for what eventually became the ASP.NET forums, which is now at forums.asp.net. And this was also quite a big shift as far as the site was concerned, because instead of being a pretty simple static application, now all of a sudden we had an application that introduced security concepts that had, you know, Gosh, I don't even know how many pages it had, but it had a lot of moving parts. I mean, it had a ton of moving parts to it. Mm. It was probably a hundredfold over what was already there. The control gallery was maybe four or five pages compared to the forums, which is, you know, most people would only see 20 to 25 pages, and then on the admin side, there'd be even more. Mm. And so what we did is we were rolling this out, and we said, you know what? We've really looked through this code, and we we think we know what we're doing, but let's just be safe. Let's, Let's send out an email to this group of individuals who's really familiar with ASP.NET, just ask them. You know, put on your, put on your, your black um, <laughs> attacker hat and help <laughs> us kick the tires a little bit. You know, go in there, look for, look for bugs. We'd love to hear about bugs. Look for any security issues. We'd love to know about those. And, and by the way, if, uh, you know, whoever, whoever finds the best bug we'll, we'll, or the best security hole or whatever it may be, we'll, we'll give you an ASP.NET T-shirt, you know, woohoo! Those were those were in limited supply <laughs> back then. And um, oh, we also had another offer on the table. I think that was for first place, and I think second place was a signed Web Matrix CD. Which Ooh. Web Matrix was a free download, but we were going to have Nikhil 
who wrote Web Matrix sign that CD and deliver it to them. Wow, that's great. Nice. We thought those were some pretty good carrots. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, that we were holding out there. And so we, I think we sent this mail out like on a, like on a Friday morning and expected, we knew of a few bugs. We knew of a few cross-site script injection attacks. We knew of a few ways you could crash the application or crash pages. And overall, we were fairly confident as far as, you know, the security of the application. We used stored procedures. We had done everything, like, best practices-wise that we could. So we sent out this email um, to these individuals. Maybe, I forget how many there were, maybe 40 or 50. And we, sure enough, you know, started getting feedback trickling in. And the feedback would be anything from, hey, here's this cross-site injection attack. I'm able to inject some script here and make the site do this. Or I can change the HTML output. Um, a variety of things that, you know, they could do to the layout of the application or they find bugs or whatever else. And, you know, sure enough, we go through Friday, no big deal, no problems, everything is going really well. We get into Saturday, I'm kind of monitoring my email still, no big issues, no big problems. And so I roll into work on Sunday morning, or on Monday morning. Um, Sunday wouldn't be too uncommon either, I guess. But I roll into work on Monday morning, and, you know, first thing I do is open up Outlook and start scrolling through it and looking, you know, just what's going on, what happened this weekend. And I'm, I'm scrolling up through my email, and I'm looking at the messages that are coming through, and, yep, here's a couple more bugs that are being reported. Yeah, no big deal, no big deal. And then I hit this one that kind of made the hair in the back of my neck stand up because it basically read something like, you know, it was from a friend of ours over in Australia, and it basically said something like, hey, I was, you know, good day. I was uh, browsing your site, mate, or, you know, something campy like that. I'm sure they weren't actually saying that. And he managed to basically state very succinctly that, you know, I, I think I found a security issue. I'm able to... Uh, browse your database server. Here's a list of all the table, or here's a list of all the databases in your database <laughs> server. He was able to browse the uh, browse the actual tables within our forums database. Basically, crawl through there. He was able to execute SQL oh. and was able to even generate um, rows that were inserted into our SQL database. Oh man! Oh man! And um, so he basically told us all this information and said. At the end, he just said, is this good enough for the T-shirt or is this good enough for the Web Matrix CD? And I'm sure he was very, you know, he was very excited about the fact that he found these bugs. And um, Didn't tell you how, though. He forgot to tell us yeah. how. So in all his excitement. <laughs> you know, Left that part out. He poked the holes but forgot to, you know, tell us how to fill in the gaps. <laughs> and so I, I calmly read this, and um, this is like, you know, 6 or 7 in the morning. And I send them back a quick reply. I said, you know, dear so-and-so, we, you know, we obviously appreciate this very much. This goes above and beyond what we expected. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm so grateful for you finding this that we've actually got a copy of Visual Studio Enterprise that I'd love to send you. In fact, I might be able to get a couple copies for you. You know, P.S., could you also just please tell us where the hole is so we can fix it? And... So, of course, he's asleep for the next several hours, and we're pouring through code like crazy, looking for, you know, where is the security issue that this guy found? And, I mean, we spent the better part of that day looking through this code, and we could not find anything. Well, and, and of course, you're thinking it's still something you did, right? Right. Yeah. And Looking at the database, looking at the security. Yep. And we could not figure it out. I mean, we could not figure out what was going on. And so finally, he emailed us back um, later that evening, and 
what had happened was, is we had had a release of the control gallery that I had mentioned kind of earlier in the story that had been rolled out that had, for whatever reason, been rolled out using the um, using an SA account to log into the database. Oh, man. And it had a cross-site SQL script injection attack in it. Or not a cross-site SQL script injection attack in it. And basically what would happen is, is on the search form for the control gallery, rather than entering in text to search for, what would be entered in would be, you know, uh, apostrophe, space, union select, you know, column, 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 column from master dot dot sys databases. And when he would bind, when he would bind back the list of what should have been controls, what he'd get back instead would be a list of databases or tables um, awesome. or other SQL script that he would inject. And uh, so, yeah, that was a, <laughs> was a big eye-opener for us. Um, and since that day, I have tried to never, ever write dynamic SQL ever again. I mean, this is a number of years ago. This is before people really understood what yep. a SQL injection attack was about. Yeah, and it's, it's unfortunate because a lot of people really don't realize how dangerous it is. And um, even if you aren't running under a privileged account, so even if I wasn't, even if the app wasn't running as an SA level, right. SA level connection to the database, even then you could still have done some pretty malicious things. For sure. The, you know, it's interesting to note that, uh, you know, when you generate dynamic SQL, even in .NET using some of the wizards that are built in in Visual Studio, the dynamic SQL still uses parameters, which is you know, going to protect you against a SQL injection attack. That is correct. So a lot of people think that you have to use stored procedures, but in Visual Studio, even if you're using dynamic SQL, you can still poke parameters into that SQL and then use the parameters collection to set the values and whatnot. That is absolutely correct. Um, I, I would always, I would personally would just always advocate stored procedures. There's a lot of other benefits for stored procedures. Sure, sure there are. Beyond just Beyond just data protection. Yeah. So, uh, wow, what a great story, man! <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Yeah, it was a, that was a that was an experience. I mean, to the guy's credit, that found it, he wrote us back a very long, a long, detailed email, taking us from you know how he started kind of playing around, figuring it out, to what he did to you know really attack the system, and it was it was completely an eye opener. Yeah. Is it still one of the biggest threats out there for? For websites today, SQL injection, or are no, there I even? Think, I think there's two big types of threats out there. I think one is one is SQL script injection, which is incredibly dangerous, and and another one that a lot of people just don't know about or or don't really give enough respect to is is cross site script injections. Yeah, you can do some really really malicious stuff with cross site script injections, and I, I mean something like um, if I can enter in data into a form on a web application and you're storing that data somewhere and then redisplaying it to me and I can control the HTML output, there's a very good chance that I can also have that page execute JavaScript so that when, you know, I might do a cross-site script injection on a page and one of you might come to it and when you view that page, I can grab your cookie, I can post that to another, to another location or do all kinds of things. And... Um, those are probably that and denial of service attacks are probably the, the the three biggest issues that a lot of web developers run into still. Yeah, there's this new scam. I don't, I don't know how new it is, but I, I just heard about it about a month ago, which was that there are these uh, people who are 
taking over the or spoofing the DNS systems on on various networks. And so when you think you're going to Amazon.com, you're actually going to some, you know, Pacific Island somewhere. Yeah. You know, they actually attack the DNS. So rather than fishing for one person at a time, they, they get everybody. Yep. Yeah. Bad stuff. So is bad there any stuff. is there any There's solution to there. is there any solution to email? I mean, email is a horrible problem. Is there any solution? Does anybody have any clue? What do you mean a solution to email? A solution to spam. A solution to unwanted email. There's oh un- man, that's a great question. Yeah, I have another story for you that isn't so great. I had a I actually had a guy call my house and chew out my wife the other day because he got some spam from. My company, and we don't send spam. We don't send anything that's not solicited or that's not requested. And uh, what I've noticed a lot lately is a lot of a lot of these companies are. I don't, I don't know exactly how it works, but I'll get you know bounce back emails that look like they were sent from you know my domain yeah, name, but right. weren't actually sent from my domain name. That, that, that's it's scary to think that there's people out there that are trying to be that malicious and do things like that. And the thing is, Rob, that I, I run my own mail server, so yep. I have it locked down. Like, you know, you, there are things that you can do, like you can, on on the system that I run, which is called mdaemon, you can request that the user read their email before sending within the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you, you can only, re- you can require authentication, which means that in order to send any email, you have to send your POP3 password first. Yep. And they still get through. Yeah. They still get through. I don't know how they do it. I'll tell you another big problem that we face is spam on um, on the blogging solutions. We get tons and tons of, like, if you look at blogs at MSDN.com, you would, you would just be amazed at not email spam, but comment spam. Yeah, in the last three yeah. or four days, I've been deluged with it. I have, I have been, too, on, on weblogs.asp.net. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot yeah. lately. I don't know what's going on. It's, uh, that, that's actually one of the big problems that we've been working on for the last couple of months is a, is a more effective way to solve that problem for blogs. I just upgraded uh, my DAS blog installation to uh, deal with comment spam as well. It was just while I was at TechEd, suddenly I was just getting hammered with uh, comment spam, and uh, the, the latest incarnation of DAS blog has fixes for it now. They have the the CAPTCHA stuff and uh, you know, blacklisting and so forth. Doesn't work as well as advertised. Now, what is this? CAPTCHA. It's it's basically where you're shown an oh, image that yeah. looks like it's distorted, like the the text will be curved or right. the text will have overlay. I didn't know it was called CAPTCHA because I've actually taught people in my class how to do that, how to make a dynamic image on the fly and yep. with a number and test it. Um, but you're saying it doesn't work all that well. Well, it's it's. It's not that it doesn't work well. I mean, it, it does work well. It's a very it's inconvenient for the user to have to kind yeah. of you know look at this and try to type it in. But the whole idea is that it's text that should not be um, it, it's text that should not be able to be read by a computer. Yeah. Because a computer can obviously look at this image and figure out what it says. When in reality, a lot of these attackers have written programs that will look for capture images, find the capture image, and have pretty pretty simple algorithms, as it turns out, that can start overlaying um, contrast colors on the on the image and figure out what, to a pretty high degree of fidelity, what the actual text or numerical values were and um, and get around it. So we've actually, as we've looked at weblogs.asp.net and blogs.msdn.com, we, 
we are not going to use a capture solution. We've got mm-hmm. another. We've got a, a separate system that we're going to use based on the profiles and the characteristics of spam, um, especially Ret- the common spam that we see come in. Retinal scanning, some kind of Bayesian match, <laughs> something like well, that. Well, there's some pretty good characteristics that we find across all spam for blogs, and you know, it, for blogging sites, it's pretty easy because when it, when a when a spammer hits a blogging site, they'll typically hit, you know every single blog they can, right. at least the ones that are in the main feed. And um, so we can do a couple things. We can, we can count the total number of links in a, in a, in a comment. We can, we can look at who the IP address is. We can look at other information um, to characterize whether or not that comment has a, has a percentage chance of being spam. And then we'll actually rank it. And then what we'll do is we'll say, you know, if we think it's spam, we'll quarantine it basically and require the user to approve it. And if we don't think it's spam, i.e. it you know, scores high enough on our scale, we'll let it post. So mm. that, that's kind of what we're planning on doing. And we'll, you'll see that come out probably within the next, next couple of months on, on web blogs that I spit on that. It's an interesting thought because, you know, the other thing is these guys are spewing the same spam over and over again. So if you see the same comment show up at a half a dozen different entries, you could probably bet yep. it's spam. Or if, or, if the, or if the domain ends with .cn, there's usually a probability that <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I just got it yeah. as we speak. I just got another comment spam about casino poker. Yeah. Oh man. Texas Hold'em. It's rolling in. We don't care. Stop it. You know how it works, don't you? I mean, a lot of those. What's happened with a lot of those is, um, um, like, unfortunately, porn sites will right. hire a lot of these guys or people or whoever it is, um, and however many links they get placement into a site, which increases that site's, the, you know, the porn site's Google rank or whatever other sites are trying to promote, um, those people will get credit, essentially, um, for any number of things. It's crazy. It's crazy because you'll never, how can you get credit for annoying people, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's all you're doing. Does anybody say, ooh, I think I'll play Texas Hold'em and click on it? Does anybody do that? No. But the point, Carl, is that it, they're trying to raise their Google ranking, so they don't actually care if you like the link. Sure, yeah, I know Yeah, you don't have to click on it. I know that. Because Google rank, you know, yeah. I mean, you know how Google rank works. Sure. So that's why, like, even with with you know with my blog and weblogs.net, every once in a while, just because I can't, I can't, you know, make sure I I look at every single one. There's cases where, you know, comment spam will get through, and that comment spam will have fifty links in it. Yeah. And so, well, you know how it goes. Yeah. It's really, it's really, it's just really frustrating. It is frustrating. I got a question from the chat room from Jason. Uh, from Ohio, who says, is there such a thing as cookie hacking? Change your cookie to become somebody else? How does ASP.NET protect against this, or does it? Uh, that's a great question. So there, it is completely possible to do cookie hacking. Um, that is spoofing a cookie um, from another domain. There's a, couple, there's a couple easy ways to do that. One is there's a... Um, if you can get a hold of the format of a cookie that a, site is, a particular site is using, and you can discern that that cookie is not being stored in an encrypted manner, or you can you can somehow tamper with the data, um, one thing that's really easy to do is you can just go into your LM hosts file on your Windows machine and spoof out the domain. So that I could, for example, I could type in um, www.asp.net, and it it would in fact be hitting my local host machine or something like that. Hmm. So there is there is concern for um, cookie tampering. What most applications will do is they'll encrypt or store the data within the cookie securely. Now it's really really hard to tamper with the cookie. Just just to be clear, I mean yeah. the likelihood of someone being able to do it is very low. I've seen just a few cases of that. I've actually seen a case on the ASP.NET site where someone has 
um, someone tried to um, try to do some cookie tampering, and it didn't work. Um, what ASP.NET, for example, has by default is the uh, forms-based authentication, which does use a cookie to store the authentication credentials. It will store it will store that ticket that it generates. So it, it'll generate a ticket, and it will store it as an yeah. encrypted string, so that you cannot tamper with it. Because if you tamper with it, then it, you know, um, breaks the encryption. Breaks the encryption. Right. Yeah. That's good. Well, uh, how about any uh, any since we're you know we seem to be in a storytelling mood. Do you have any stories from uh, back in the Microsoft days that that uh, you know about maybe uh, the rollout of ASP.NET uh, the first time or anything else that comes to mind? Oh, I don't know if I have any really good ones. I mean, I, the rollout for for ASP.NET one was um, for a lot of us was it the PDC? I think it was was it two thousand one? It was the PDC in Orlando. Yeah, and that was just a that was just a crazy time for everyone because. Just about no one had seen ASP.NET yet, and um, about I remember actually a better story is I remember about two or three months before that PDC, Microsoft was trying to figure out the name for .NET. Like, what do we call .NET? Right, right, yeah. For a long time, it was um, you know for for a long time ASP.NET was ASP Plus. Right. In fact, I think some books got published that were called ASP Plus, which right. was. Um, <laughs> Next generation Windows services was another one, right? I think it was web services. I thought uh, next generation web services was it? Nigwis, yeah, that was a wonderful, wonderful acronym. Yeah, right. Um, it was Com Plus Two O for a while. Right. I actually, I have a set of poker chips at my um, at my house, just kind of Microsoft's like swag that I collected over the years, and it says they're poker chips, and it says Com Plus Two O. Bet on it, and of course, <laughs> Com Plus Two O never saw the light of day. Right. Um, but it was really it came down to the wire. I remember it was only like a month before PDC when the name .NET was finally chosen. Yeah. And um, at the time, I remember people were like .NET, huh? You know, that makes, makes no right. sense. Right. And now it just kind of rolls off your tongue. It just seems sure. like such a natural name for the technology now. You know, it is kind of clever, but it, but it, yeah, it, it is. Uh, I remember being very struck by how it, how awkward it is to say. Right. At first. It's, well, it's not harder to say. It's hard to spell. Yeah, it's hard to search we, for, too. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough to search for. And somebody didn't think about the issues about searching for .NET when they... Yeah, uh, yeah. it's, it's right, funny man. how much of an impact that has on, on technology now. Like, yeah. you know, how easy is it to find in Google? It's pretty much the, if you're building product or building anything, you know, you got to make sure it's, it's easily discoverable in, in Google, otherwise you're dead in the water. Well, here's a question for you out of the blue. Yeah. You you obviously worked on a lot of the features of ASP.NET caching, session, all that stuff. What what was the what was your most satisfying moment, uh, you know, design wise or work wise, or when you saw something working? What did you like the best? You know, there's really. Can I have two things? Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I've got more than that, man. So I, I, well, I can pick more than that too. So that, that that's just such a tough question to answer. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah, professionally wise, I mean that 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 was just such a it's it was such an amazing opportunity to be part of that team and um, to have the the fortunate position to be in to get to design some of the features was just even more amazing and you know I'm just forever thankful for the opportunity I had to be there and as far as my favorite kind of moments I, I think one of them was doing database cache invalidation which oh, yeah. is uh, which is a feature that comes comes online with with 
with ASP.NET 2.0, which allows you to do you know database not- notification from the database that tells you when data has changed. So you can basically stuff something in memory on your web server, and they get notified from the database when that data changes. And that's just that was that was phenomenal. Showing that I, I showed that probably a year or two earlier um, on a prototype I built on ASP.NET 1.0 mm-hmm. at a Microsoft conference called MGB, mm-hmm. uh, which is just just for Microsoft people, hmm. and people were just amazed. They're like, how? You know, how is this possible? And the fact that we're able to productize it and make that a reality, that was just that was just awesome. Because you know what I was doing? Well, what I'm still doing, because I'm not using 2.0 ASP.NET in production, but is, you know, making a trigger that calls a stored proc that touches a file that uh, is used as a dependency. And, yep. you know, you get the mousetrap game, Rube Goldberg thing happening. It works, you know. Yep, that's the, the, first, the first solution that I, I came up with that I actually published was... Um, a trigger that would call, one of calling an extended stored procedure that would make an HTTP call back to the originating server and pass in the cache key to be invalidated. Cool. Um, work much the same way as the file. Mechanism. Yeah, sure. So but, how does how does the uh, how does it work in ASP.NET 2.0? In ASP.NET 2.0, there's there's two different implementations. There's an implementation for SQL Server, and there's an implementation for SQL Server 2005. And the, implement, the implementation for SQL Server 2000 takes advantage of a, a really great tip and trick that I've been advocating a lot, which is um, using, a, using background threads. There's, there's some neat stuff you can do. We've done it with the community server. We've done it in other, a lot of other, other solutions where you can, you can actually schedule background threads to do work using the uh, system threading timer class. It's hmm. definitely an advanced technique. That is cool. The way it works in SQL 2000 with ASP.NET 2.0 is... You'll basically, you know, you'll have 15, let's say, 20 threads executing requests in your ASP.NET application, and behind the scenes, every let's say five seconds or 15 seconds, ASP.NET kicks up a thread on the server without a request starting it. So there's no request coming in that this thread satisfies. It kicks up a thread, and it, that thread connects to the database, checks the database for some information, and then comes back. And then based on what it finds in the database, it either invalidates data in the cache or or it leaves that data in the cache. If it invalidates the data in the cache, then the next page request that comes through for that data repopulates the cache. With SQL 2005, it works a little differently. With SQL 2005, it actually SQL Server actually sends the web server a notification. It will say... Through the service broker? Yep, through service broker. It'll yeah. say the results from the stored procedure chain, the you know change, the results from the dynamic SQL change, the results from this... Whatever else you can think of have changed. Here's a notification allowing you to remove this entry from cache now. Oh. And um, and this is just because SQL Server is smarter about these sorts of things. It is. And whereas with the the SQL Server 2000 solution, you're limited to only table-based notification. So I can only tell you when, say, the products table changed. Versus with right. SQL Server 2005, I can say, tell me when. Um, Tell me when the results of this query have changed. Meaning, I could have an unlimited number of joins. I could be doing any number of things in the application and have to do notifications still. So, hmm. when cool. I look at building web apps, I think above anything else, when it comes to providing developers with a tool that very easily allows them to solve performance issues, I think caching not only does that, but the database cache validation stuff will make just Oh, totally. Applications fly. Totally, because now you don't have to worry about it, the data being old. That's right. And not being fresh. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, the, the deal with your background thread scheduler, 
you're touching the cache object there, and it's only because the is the cache object is thread safe, right? That's right. Yeah. So that was the first thing I actually noticed that I really loved about cache, uh, the cache object as opposed to the application object. You don't have to lock it. That's right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So that that was one of my one of my favorite things to do. Um, the second thing would be the provider design pattern, which is something that yeah really evolved originally out of the ASP.NET forums. Was um, the way it started was we wanted to have a solution in the ASP.NET forums so we could swap out different databases. Originally, the goal was we were going to support SQL Server and Access, which we never supported Access. But we started kind of playing with this pattern, and um, what we found out was it was a really great way to allow us as the ASP.NET team to publish an API, but then allow the developer to extend and change that API. One of the big problems that a lot of organizations would face when they looked at any technology, whether it's ASP.NET or JSP or whatever else, is they look at these APIs and say, you know what, session state really doesn't meet my needs. You know, I'm, I'm using an Oracle database. I, I'm not using SQL Server with my organization. I want to use this out-of-process session state store, but it's just not available to me because I don't have SQL Server. And what the provider pattern allows them to do is to say, you know what, doesn't matter. I can unplug the implementation of that API that Microsoft ships and plug in my own. And so the problem prov- we wanted to solve with version one of ASP.NET, huh. session state, that was the original goal, was we were going to make session state pluggable. And we just couldn't get it done. This is really cool. Now, you, the provider model is for, obviously, for more than the database. You're using it for session? Using yeah, it for. Using it, it's used for session. It's used for. Um, Gosh, I can't even remember all the features now. It's session, role manager, um, personalization, membership. Oh, cool. There's a, um, oh, gosh, there's another big one. There's It's used for resources, for localization resources. Cool. It's used for the web part manager. Um, every so, single, I, I believe almost every single infrastructure-level API inside of ASP.NET 2.0 is pluggable. That's what I, w- I was waiting to see which ones didn't have it, because as far as I know, pretty much all of them have it. The whole idea here is you can get third-party ones installed. It, it, was, it, was, it was pushed into as many different features as possible. Awesome. So the, goal, the goal was like, you know what, let's, 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 let's build a system that any enterprise can look at and say, hey, I, I don't like the way they did membership, but so what? I can, you know, I, I, can, I, can train, I can easily train someone on the API. I can buy a book for the developer. They can learn membership. But I can go in and I can replumb how membership works. And, and that's a really powerful statement. And this is basically a, a plug-in kind of interface, basically, that you're talking about? Is that how it works? Or is it, does it use inheritance? In yeah, there's a little more to it than that. There's, a, there's basically a base, there, there's a base class. So there's right. a base class for membership, for role manager, whatever else. Mm-hmm. And you can derive from that base class. And then within the configuration system of ASP.NET, you can tell the feature, like membership, that instead of using the system.web.security.membership SQL provider, you're going to use the, you know, whatever namespace dot um, SQL server custom provider. Yeah. And when ASP.NET loads up, it'll use your class versus using the built-in one. Very cool. And then you can, you can also do things like dynamically, at runtime, choose which class instance you want to use. That's sweet. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. That that was that was something that, you know, there's a lot of debate still. A lot of people say, oh, you know, all we've written is a, um, a database abstraction, you know, something that abstracts the data yeah, that's, access API. that was the way I, I it was presented to me, too, that I yeah, thought that if you... Yeah, that's not the case. Yeah. It's an API abstraction layer. It abstracts out the 
behavior of an API as well as the data layer. That's fabulous. So basically, anything at all in ASP.NET that you don't like, you rewrite it. Yeah. I mean, you basically take the API. I mean, that, look, the, 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 one, one of the best selling points of it is you take a feature like membership or um, that has that login control that right. everyone's probably seen demo where you yeah. drag and drop this login control on, their, on your page and you have all this rich functionality because it talks to the membership API. Mm-hmm. What's cool about that is is I could write a membership provider for an Oracle database that talks to my custom data store that does, let's say, an AS400. I could write a membership provider for an AS400 database, yeah. wired up to talk to that database, however, or that AS400 system, however it works. Right. And as a developer, I can still grab the login control, drag and drop it into my design surface, and not write one more line of code. So Because cool. it's talking to that membership API. You're totally hiding the differences from the field ASP.NET developers. Yep. And what's cool about that is, is for a lot of organizations, rather than having to write custom solutions for those problems, they can, you know, they can change the base default behavior. And that means that when they hire someone that, you know, to help them with their ASP.NET application, they don't have to train someone up on their new custom APIs. They say, hey, we're using the membership API to, you know, right. validate credentials. Here's a book on ASP.NET 2.0. Read it. When you're ready, let's you know, start writing some code. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. And, and, of course, you know, it, it brings to mind that, you know, we really have two class of developers now. We have, you know, we're truly separating, you know, user interface development and, and user interaction development from the component development, you know, the people who are behind the scenes, behind the API, writing the stuff and doing the overrides and customizing and uh, it, it just makes it so much easier for the people who are actually writing the app that they don't yep. have to go down there. And in Windows applications, too, you know, especially in uh, this next version of Visual Studio, which is just fabulous. And it, at, as a Visual Basic developer, I, I really uh, have uh, – I know, I'm not going to say I have mixed feelings because I have very strong feelings, but you can see that this next version of Visual Basic – is going deeper in both directions. It's going deeper in the low level, and it's going deeper in the high level. It's getting more high level for application developers and for component developers and people who really need to do stuff behind the scenes. They're getting more tools as well. And I just think it's fabulous what Microsoft is doing with this next release. Not just yeah, it's in- definitely an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be a Microsoft developer. I mean, absolutely. Um, it's been exciting since PDC 2001 when, when .NET 1.0 came out. Yeah, the the transition, the the delta between the technology set that Microsoft had prior to that and what they have today is just it's really phenomenal, and it's just getting better. Yep. Well, well, I ask uh, all of my guests this at the end of the interview, and we are getting toward the end. What is the coolest thing that you've downloaded lately? Oh, <laughs> oh no! Let me think about this. <laughs> oh man. I don't even know. I haven't really. I haven't really been downloading a lot lately. All right. The thing that I've been playing with not using that whole internet thing lately, huh? The thing I've been playing the most with lately is CodeSmith. um, Oh, cool. Which which is something that Telogen actually invested in, but I've I don't really consider that something I've downloaded lately. Yeah. Well, tell us (laughs) Um, about it anyway. Yeah, I mean, CodeSmith's a a phenomenal tool. It's um, this guy named Eric Smith. He used to work at Match. dot com, and in his spare time, he kind of saw the need to write a. the way he likes to sell it is he's a lazy programmer. He's like, I don't want to have to do repetitive <laughs> stuff. And so what he wanted to build was a tool that allowed him to very easily um, generate out code um, that he would typically have to sit down and write line by line by line by line. 
And instead of writing one of these magic kind of push-button applications, which would just look at a database and just spit out a bunch of code, he wanted it to be very template-driven. So he could write a template that would say, this is how I want the code to look, point it to whatever component or database or whatever else, and it would simply gen that code out. Hmm. And um, I've been playing with that a lot lately. I'm doing, I'm doing some talks on it coming up at some user groups and some other stuff. But it's really a powerful tool. And it, it, it solves a lot of the problems that developers have today where, I mean, I remember writing the collection classes for Community Server. Mm-hmm. And I'd spend hours and hours and hours typing out all the properties and all the, right. all the common kind of framework code. And it just simplifies a lot of that. And um, Cool. So, yeah. Very good. All right. Well, uh, Richie, you got any more questions for Rob before we call it a show? I would like to compliment him on the fact that the when I Google his name, the first four links are all him. <laughs> four different sites. It's impressive, man. Like, how did you pull that off? Yeah, you know, what's scary is I still get a lot of email for for Ron Howard. About, <laughs> about once every... Uh, Actually, a funny story. We've, uh, Jason Alexander, who was a character on Seinfeld, right. as well as a character on... Uh, um, who, who I think Jason Alexander was also the name of a guy who dated, um, oh gosh, um, Paris well, Hilton. Well, he's George on Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, my name, Rob Howard. I get, I get probably once a month, I'll get an email on my blog, you know, the, the email through the blog <laughs> from, you know, some woman or some guy saying, hey, I've got a great idea for a movie, or yeah. I've got this friend you should pass in the <laughs> film. And Jason gets the same thing. He just got, he just, Sent around a funny one the other day where some uh, some tabloid in England was looking to get a hold of him to do an interview about his uh, his Duckman series. Beautiful. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not actually Duckman. I'm, I'd love to talk to you about software, but I'm not I'm not the actor you think I am. I tend to have a little more fun with it. I usually reply to those people with a somewhat tongue in cheek reply, and then at the end say, "No, I'm not actually Ron Howard. I'm Rob Howard." So, <laughs> excellent. Well, uh, what can I say, man? Thanks. It's it's been great. I wish we had more time, and I'd like to invite you back anytime. Uh, That'd be great. I'd love to come back. I'd love to, you know, however often you guys will have me, I'd, I'd love to be here. Well, let's schedule you for July 29th. What do you say? Maybe not July. <laughs> All right. But maybe, maybe a couple, couple months further out. Okay, maybe Definitely. September or something. Definitely. I'd love to be back. Excellent. All right, Rob. Well, on behalf of myself and Richard Campbell in Vancouver and Jeff Maciolik in the sound room and everybody who's listening out there, thanks again for coming on the show. We'll see you next time. And you guys, have a great week. Thanks for having me.